thanks to everyone who's left uh, ratings and reviews since last week. And if you haven't yet, uh, Mayo and I encourage you to. We really appreciate it. A lot of the reviews are, are from a while ago and quite entertaining to me. <laughs> as the target it's like when you um open up a tree and you see the rings uh, the ages the eras right on the rings yes. of the tree it's that yeah. but in terms of digital app store reviews it's like oh yeah that era of happy hour yeah, but yeah right. some new reviews would be uh, appreciated if people want to go to the podcast app or whatever and write a little two sentence thing we should retroactively do seasons for that for, <laughs> for the different eras <laughs> yeah we do seasons by year just be continuous. I think we're on, officially we're on season one still. You think it's season one, or is this or is this season four because we're in the four hundreds? I don't. I never quite know where we where we divide it. I think I think to change seasons you need a gap. Like I listened to on uh, Apple Music Radio, uh, Mark Office's show After School Radio, mm-hmm. and they went from season one to season two pretty early on, which I think was like season one was like we'll see if this works, and then season two they changed the style of the artwork, and they were like it was like one week after the other and it was like season two and then they never had season three as far as i know so. uh iphone we, 15. we're too consistent yeah. to have seasons i guess right? yeah. i think you're right iphone 15 what does it mean for an, an iphone 15 to possibly have a proprietary usb-c port i don't get that <laughs> it, okay well firstly it is a somewhat sketchy claim but I think this story is interesting, even just in the abstract, right? Because you can have a USB-C port and it not support everything. That's just a fact, right? So if you look at a laptop, for instance, our MacBooks have a USB-C port, but they some of them support USB-C, some of them support Thunderbolt, some of them support you know USB-4, right? If you get the latest generation model. So just because the shape of the port is the same doesn't necessarily mean you know, the capabilities over that port are different because they have different buses they run on different speeds. Some do charging only, some do charging in data. You have the same um, you have the same trials and tribulations with the cables, right? You can get USB-C cables that only support charging. You can support USB cables that only do data, data plus charging, data and charging at slow speeds, data and charging at faster speeds, you know, for fast charging and everything. So the universal port always has you know, gotchas and asterisks mm-hmm. and, well, you've got to check this out. And obviously the USB-C, um, we, we, everybody expects that the iPhone 15 will add a USB-C port in replacement of the Lightning port that we've had since the iPhone 5 back in 2012. So over a decade now we've, we've, we've run with Lightning. And I think partly due to pressures uh, from the EU and other places and partly just to the fact that at some point you have to move on and Apple was being drag like the, the the capabilities of the phone were being held back by the port because specifically in terms of data transfer speed because you look at you know the iphone 13 the iphone 14 where there you can shoot uh pro res raw um uh apple pro raw video and they're like gigabytes upon gigabytes and how the how the how are you supposed to get them off the device mm-hmm. like you can do it wirelessly but if you go over usb if you go over the lightning port you're only getting usb two speeds whereas if they could have like USB-C at 5 gigabits or even like a Thunderbolt port at like 20 to 40 gigabits, everything would be a lot faster. It would be the same speed as a laptop. So I think there's multiple reasons why now is the time for Apple to do it and why it's happening. Um, But this news story was specifically about the idea that Apple has designed a, quote, lightning circuit board that attaches to the USB-C port on the iPhone and therefore can control what happens when you plug it in. So the we this is from a, a a Weibo leaker and they basically intimated that 
this means that only Apple official or Apple certified accessories will work with the iPhone. Hmm. I mean, is, that is a possibility in the in the scheme of the world, right? Like theoretically, someone could put a USB C shape port on their phone and be like, "This only works when you plug it into stuff that you know is MFI certified or, or is in these like limited lists or doesn't do anything else." Um, that is a possibility. Do I think it's actually going to happen? I, I I don't. What I think this means is that there might be elements of the port that are limited to Apple certified accessories. The obvious answer is like faster charging speeds, right? So like if you look at what they do with Qi charging, you can charge at, you know, 5, 10 watts or whatever with um, a Qi charge. But if you have the specific MagSafe charger and it, and, it, and it detects it's a MagSafe charger with the special like you know, NFC communication, then you can go up to even higher speeds of 15 watt charging and, and, and higher for wireless charging. And we've also seen similar kind of things happen with wide cables as well. So maybe that's what's going to happen here, where if you have, you know, everything Apple approved, you can get the fastest charging speeds out of the port. Um, maybe if, and if you if you don't have an approved port, you can only charge at the standard, you know, 18 more speeds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's some accessories that require port communication, because like maybe you can do standard um like power but data wise the 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 port expects lightning compatible accessories or something like mm-hmm. it's not i don't think it's out it's insane to think that oh there'll be something where like if you plug in a USB C hard drive well apple's like well it's not going to work on the other hand if you look at how they've treated USB C on the iPad right which is mm-hmm. a close correlate to the iPhone it's basically completely open and unrestricted. Um, so if you were, if you were a betting man, I'd probably expect that they'd follow what they did on the iPad, where you know they sack off the accessory market and just say, look, any USB-C compatible thing works with this. If you have a higher end iPad, you get Thunderbolt, so you can go even faster and do multiple, and drive multiple displays. I expect the same thing is going to happen with the iPhone, where the base the base model iPhones, the iPhone 15, the iPhone 15 Plus, they will get. A USB-C port, but it only has supports USB three, uh, basically in terms of power and data. And I believe Quo even had a report that said even it might be USB two uh, data transfer speeds, i.e., the same as Lightning, just over USB-C. Yeah. But then the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max will be Thunderbolt ports, so you can do faster data transfer. I think that's the most likely outcome, and there won't be like this, like you know, made for iPhone USB-C scheme because. People like to joke that you know Apple changes the ports all the time to just make money off and profit off accessory ecosystem, but practically they don't change the port all the time. It's only happened you know twice in the entire history of the phone, and the amount of money that they make off accessory um, licensing through the MFI program is very, 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 very minimal. Like Apple is a huge company; they make like three hundred million dollars a year or something off the accessory market. Like in that way. That's 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 pittance when you compare it to any of their products. Like if they can sell, you know, um, ten million more iPhones because they put a port that people want on the thing, they're going to do that rather than prop up a accessory ecosystem that's you know gradually fading away and dying into insignificance as people switch to wireless charging or or you know whatever else. And so I don't think there's going to really be like business motivation from to lock it down. There might be some features that they have special accessories that work with and that do necessitate some sort of proprietary communication. The other option 
is maybe this integrate maybe the the Weber leak is slightly misguided and the so the integrated circuit board for lightning isn't to limit what can be used at the port it's actually to expand what can be used at the port so maybe by putting that in the um in the circuitry existing lightning accessories via an adapter can then talk over the USB-C protocol to the phone so all of the existing accessories in the world that are you know wired over lightning can work with the iPhone 15 going forward that is the most optimistic uh guess i suppose yeah so for the ipad i guess we have no evidence that that's how it works on the ipad as well but maybe we just don't know about it uh so i i can see this as sort of like you described where you don't want to throw out all of the lightning specific features just because you changed the port so um, i even think there's some examples of like if you connect certain accessories that require an app to interface that connecting it will prompt you to download that app from the app store i know it works over bluetooth and i'm pretty sure the same thing happens with lightning mm -hmm. um, for specific examples and um so so that could be a factor um the the usb-c uh usb-c speed situation is too bad i think that on the on the ipad i kind of get it because you have the higher end ones none of it is really for like movie and photo transfer it can be but it's you know, larger files transferring back and forth that are uh, maybe not media related, uh, I guess. But on the phone, it's sort of like, you know, camera first. And so yeah. every every iPhone made today, even the ones that are not $1,000 and up, have 4K video and can take, you know, massive files. <laughs> like they can create massive files. And so you would want the same transfer benefits between phones. But I... Um, at the other, you know, on the other hand, I can see Apple's only doing it where they limit um, the, the truly faster stuff to the higher end phones because there's more uh, separation between the two products. Uh, so yeah, I, I, what would be like truly draconian would be like if if, if it were only certain USB C cables that were produced from this fallen on network, but um, that would I, that would be wild. Like, that would. Nobody there, there's that. no incentive for Apple to do that. Yeah. Like the amount of money they could reap is insignificant compared to just making them more like the the PR the 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 negative PR from locking USB C port down in that way would far outstrip the amount of money they could collect on it. So it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to work that way. And on the laptops and in the iPads and even if you want to say the you know the USB C port on the Apple TV remote like they don't have proprietary limits in 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 way in ways that are significant right like you said there might be a thing where if you have a specific made for iphone accessory when you do plug it in it can detect that it needs to download an app store or needs to download an app store app or install some sort of configuration profile or something mm -hmm. and that will continue if 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 they want but most stuff will just try, you know be standards compliant with usb mm -hmm. yeah. um yeah the the also, the thing where the, 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 we have a universal uh, connector with USB-C. I ran into that issue when I was connecting a display to the M2 Mac Mini, where I have a 4K display that I don't think it requires Thunderbolt. Like I think it's, I think it could work with just USB-C, but I also think that there's it's like much more common to have data or excuse me charging cables that are USB-C than to have ones that support data as in you know display input and output and so um it i ended up having to go to a thunderbolt cable anyway although I, i'm pretty sure like there's like there's something in between thunderbolt and then charge only usb-c 
where it would have supported the display. But uh, yeah, you can get USB C shop- data cables. They do yeah. exist. But shopping for that is challenging. Yes, because <laughs> you and need USB C three point one Gen two or something. You know. Like yeah, that. and there's a really big price difference between obviously charge only and then the you know a Thunderbolt three Thunderbolt four cable that can do a lot more. Uh, you're talking like <laughs> maybe like ten dollars or like sixty dollars. So um, I ended up just doing using a cable I, I had for another purpose and repurposed it for this. But um, yeah, and like say yeah. if you do have a iPhone 15 Pro with a Thunderbolt port, you'll probably mm-hmm. most people will just use USB-C charge cables with it because they're way cheaper and they can get much longer lengths. So the problem with Thunderbolt yeah, cables yeah. is they're really short unless you spend inordinate amounts of oh money. Oh my because, gosh, yeah. Yeah, you can get like a three meter one, but it costs like $150 or something insane because at that point they have to go to optical active wiring, I believe, um, which obviously you know has live circuitry inside, uh, you know, a lot more um, high grade components. It costs just costs more to make compared to just a simple charge cable, which is just you know a wire. Yeah. Dumb like, wire. like with, with the studio display, the... Thunderbolt cable you get in the box is quite short. Like you, it's it's kind of made for a, a MacBook to be docked right next to it, or a Mac Mini right under it, or Mac Studio, and not like a tower under the computer under your desk or something. Um, and then they they made the I think they actually have Pro in the name, but it's the longer version and it's so much more expensive. Really, oh yeah, really Apple. Cool. I forgot about that. Apple made their own, didn't they? They they did yeah yeah that's a good point I forgot about I that. think it's called Thunderbolt Pro yeah it's Thunderbolt Four Pro Cable is what it's called yeah and it costs you can get it in one point eight meters or three meters yeah. and it costs where's the price where's the price it costs a hundred and sixty pounds so yeah. about one hundred and eighty dollars probably sounds right for a three meter for cable a, for your cable that'd be one point two yeah. meters longer. But the, and Apple does overcharge in general for their accessories and cables and stuff. But that price is not insane for a Thunderbolt four cable that's that long. Because you go on, right. you look on the internet, they're they're all they're all in triple digits at least. Um, just because there's more circuitry going on to get it to longer lengths while maintaining the data throughput, which is why most people just end up with USB C charge cables or Thunderbolt cables that are like 0.5 meters. Because that's what yeah. that's still what I use. Because that's what came with my Thunderbolt dock, my OWC Thunderbolt dock. It was just a 0.5 meter Thunderbolt cable, um, yeah. and e- and so even, I just cope being a bit stretched. <laughs> sure, and even though the connectors universal, I think the best way to glance at it and recognize what is what is charge only cables can be really thin, and data cables like that come with the iPad, I believe, are thicker. And then, like the Thunderbolt 4 Pro cable, I'm sure it's quite thick. <laughs> so. mm. The thicker, the more expensive, the more capable it is. Um, so that's iPhone 15 stuff coming this fall. Speaking of 15, there is the rumors of the 15-inch MacBook Air coming as soon as the month after next, maybe. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is interesting, right? Because there was some speculation before, like rumors before, that it was scheduled for last year, and then those kind of died away and said it was coming in 2023. Um, while we don't expect any other major like Apple hardware Mac products this year. Like, uh, you know, they've done the MacBook Pro update. They've done the, the Mac Mini update. We're expecting the Mac Pro at some point, but we're not expecting a Mac Studio. We're not expecting an iMac update. Uh, we don't expect the laptops to get revised again. So the two, like, new pieces of Apple hardware are going to be the Mac Pro, which is obviously super niche, and then this thing, which is the 15-inch MacBook Air. So, And we believe it just runs the M2 chip, so it will just be like the 13-inch MacBook Air they released last year, 
but with a slightly bigger with a you know a couple of inches bigger display and then originally i had it like in my head oh this is going to be like a you know full full product like september or maybe summer you know like either a wwc thing still, or still could be it still could be yeah it still could be but the latest uh, reports are that it's actually in mass production uh, digitime says it's mass production started in january and pretty reliable um display analyst ross young has said that apple um that 15.5 inch macbook air panel production has begun uh and it has begun in february and so they would expect an early april launch for that product um I think this is kind of cool. Like you, in specific, specifically, have been on the 15-inch MacBook Air hype train for a long time. Ten years ago, I was writing yeah. about it on Nine to Five Mac. Um, I have to admit that the 12-inch MacBook experience, the Retina MacBook, um, sort of took me in the other direction of like, this is extraordinarily portable with display real estate that I can work with because it's Retina and you can scale it to show more space. Um, but that doesn't exist yet, and even the rumors are saying that Apple is, hasn't made a decision on that, whether that 12-inch MacBook with an Apple Silicon chip will exist. Uh, and so what seems much more likely, at least for this year, is the 15-inch MacBook Air. Um, the the April thing, I don't know. Like, Cool, cool if so. And, and I guess the earlier in the year that they release this thing, because it will have the M2 chip, the better. Um, last year we saw the M1 Ultra in the Mac Studio in March, and then you got to. It was June. They did it at WWDC. Yeah. For M2 in June. For M2, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had a few months in between. In this case, we haven't gotten to the new Ultra yet. That'll be the Mac Pro uh, for the M2 Ultra. So. The earlier you release this thing, the better, because you could say after the Mac Pro, then the M3 could be, you know, three to six months away uh, if they repeat what they did with the M2 and M M1 Ultra. Uh, I in th- in the chip stuff, I mean, that's totally fine. I think that everything in the specs of a 13.6 inch MacBook Air, including the up to 24 gigabytes of RAM, that odd 24 number, is fitting for this product. Price wise, you go from Eleven ninety nine for the M two MacBook Air to uh, nineteen ninety nine for the M two Pro MacBook Pro, so pretty big price difference that they can land in the middle of like fifteen ninety nine for the fifteen inch MacBook Air would feel would feel okay. Uh, I, th- I think for the MacBook Pro fourteen and MacBook Pro sixteen is a five thousand dollar difference. Excuse me, not five thousand five hundred. Five thousand. <laughs> Yeah, there's a five hundred dollar difference between the two. Um, you got a whole so, Mac Pro in this in between. <laughs> yeah, five grand. Um, and, and so if you looked at if you said five hundred, maybe even just four hundred because it isn't as, as higher end, then you know you go up to sixteen hundred or seventeen hundred. Any, any yeah, I mean if it's the same specs, like identically, then it could even be cheaper than that, right? Like yeah, you know, I'm not saying it will be because you know, Apple loves yeah. to get their money where they can, but it could be like. Thirteen ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine. Um, that's still that, like three hundred dollars more than two hundred, three hundred dollars more than the MacBook Air M two, and the M two MacBook Air is approaching a year old at this point, right? So you know their mm-hmm. their production costs go down. They have a bit more wiggle room on margins and stuff. So I could see it happily slotting in at thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, and it would um, smooth out the product line, right? Because like you said, you have to jump to nine ninety nine for the fourteen inch MacBook Pro. So just mm-hmm. have and the, the the performance characteristics of an M two chip are 
perfect for so 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 many people they just want a bigger screen and i actually have a friend who literally got an m1 he got an m1 pro a 16 inch uh, literally last week only because he wanted the one with the biggest screen Uh, if i did suggest the mabook air uh, but he wanted something bigger than the 13 inch screen so that was where you went to so just get a couple generations old um you know mabook pro that is still more powerful than he needs but he just had the, the big nice screen on it so here we go again. If they had a MacBook Air that was 15 inches, that would have been, you know, prime placement. Yeah. On on the iPhone, you know, they've, they've done the Plus model this year, and it seems like that isn't a smashing hit, neither was the Mini. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's because there's a smaller price difference between going from a non-pro to a pro. I think a lot of it is that people really value the best camera quality. And so that's the thing. that you, If you're looking at a $900 big phone, or an eight, what is it, eight hundred dollars for the for the non plus for the fourteen? Um, that people really value the camera, especially when it's priced uh, monthly over you know a set period. You're looking at the difference of like five or ten dollars a month difference. You're like, I really want the better camera, so you go that route. But in in the MacBook situation, it feels like there could be a lot more incentive to go with the fifteen inch MacBook Air if you want a bigger screen because a it's bigger than the fourteen inch MacBook Pro, so you're getting more screen for less money. Uh, and then it's drastically different, maybe even a thousand dollar difference to, be, between the 15 inch MacBook Air and the 16 inch MacBook Pro. So, uh, and then the camera quality isn't really a factor there on a MacBook. So, uh, and I would also expect battery life to be, you know, longer on the 15 inch because there's more space for battery inside. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you get 18 hours on the MacBook Air, and I think you go up to what 22 or 23 on the Pros. So I don't know if it would reach that high, but you could imagine it would. You could imagine it either reaches that or even exceeds that because it's less, less, uh, you're, you're, you're not driving, you know, I guess variable, variable refresh rate helps with battery life and um, maybe even... The, the pros the, are also chunky, I remember. Like they do have bigger batteries than what the Airs can fit. Like obviously you'll be able to get a bigger battery in a 15-inch MacBook Air than a 13-inch. Uh, but I don't think the battery capacity of the 15-inch Air would match what the MacBook Pros get because it's just sure. a much thinner body. But you can yeah, imagine better battery life than what they quote for the 13-inch for sure. Yeah, 19 or 20, 20 hour would be better than the than the 13-inch, so that would be a, a gain there. Um, the 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 Ross Young then Digitimes angle on this, I didn't really know what to read on production of of the display for this is is gearing up. And so then you add two months to the release for that because I can imagine displays being readied and then full, like so many other aspects to assembly that wouldn't be ready or you know wouldn't be the time for. But with Digitime saying that it started, mass production began in January. You know, Digitime's funny enough isn't always great with timing, but I would trust Digitime's more on reporting of a past event beginning than predicting a future event to happen uh so maybe maybe april is real maybe you know even you can see them holding this even if they're like ready for april releasing them in june because why not but and all and for all intents and purposes we believe they held MacBook Pros, which were originally meant to come in November until January, right? So that's two months yeah. different. They can they yeah. they don't like to hold on to inventory if they have to, but they're not opposed to doing it if you know they're just late or stuff's not ready or stuff volume's not available, um, and yeah, that's probably Apple. where the April um kind of like time window comes in because you know Apple has like a 
six to eight week run t- lead time on inventory. So if you that's two months, you know, you add two months to February and you get to April. So that's generally what they're targeting. Uh, but it's not like a hard and fast rule. It adapts to market conditions and supply chain. And as we know at the moment, supply chain is very volatile. So it can it can shift around. Yeah. So maybe you don't hold your breath for April, but if, if it is, then maybe they, they ship in limited supply at first and then later later on they have a bigger inventory uh or if it comes later in the in the year then there's just a massive inventory to start out with and you never have to deal with shipping delays but uh at any rate looking forward to this thing existing i think i'm still holding out for what the fate of a 12 inch macbook would be even though 10 years ago like 10 years ago i didn't have 12 inch macbook experience (laughs) So, <laughs> and I mean, the conditions then were there was a 13-inch MacBook Air. There was an 11-inch MacBook Air, which was the shape of the 11-inch MacBook Air display. Like, it was weird. The that, Those were the thick bezel ones. And I think it was like... Oh, where it had like a silver, it was like silver chrome, wasn't it? Silver bezels around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah for, for both sizes. And the 11-inch especially, I think it was like short and wide. <laughs> so I don't think it was quite the shape that you see on every other display now, but... um my desire then was saying, okay, we've got to don't care about the 11 inch because it's quite compromised. The 13 inch air is, is wonderful, super portable. And then you have to add weight to the whole thing in every dimension to get to the 15 inch MacBook pro at the time. And so the big appeal for me was bigger screen without all the weight that will still exist now because they did make the MacBook pros thicker and heavier than the MacBook airs for a while there. They were, really close especially with the still still being sold 12 or 13 inch touch bar macbook pro like it's really close in comparison there um but in this case i didn't you know it it doesn't appeal to me as much as it did back then because i'm holding out for the 12 inch to return and and that just like that thing is so portable you know i mean if you look at the 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 keyboard in the bottom case of the macbook of any macbook You've got speaker grills on either side of the keyboard on a 13-inch and on a 14-inch. And then on a 15 or 16-inch, you've got, like, huge speaker grills on either side of the, the – for the, for this, you know, on the, the keyboard because it's just that much bigger. They don't make the keyboard larger for larger computers. And so with the 12-inch, there was no room for the speaker grill to show. It was strictly, you know, I think effectively what happens anyway, but you get the keyboard sound from under the keys or um, just beneath the display. So – that that thing is just like optimized for portability, and and that's why I'm still holding out hope for that to exist. And and maybe they even by by the time it does exist, they introduce cellular capability <laughs> because it is so portable. And that's your like, pipe dream, I see. Yeah, like the 12 inch MacBook Retina MacBook as it existed in 2015, and and for the next I think four years, I think it's more portable and like ergonomic than an ipad pro in a magic keyboard accessory just because the difference and being top heavy and then you know it's everything it'd be thinner as well right like the once you slap a magic keyboard accessory on an ipad it gets pretty thick and bulky Mm -hmm. so yep the 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 12 inch would be smaller thinner and you know more capable because unfortunately Mm -hmm. that's the that's the state of play at the moment um, and the biggest complaint that people had with the 12 inch while it was around was performance, right? It was slow it was an and Intel underpowered. Core M. Yeah, yeah an Intel a... Core M. And that is completely out of the equation now because we know that you can 
like an, if an M2 chip can run in an iPad, it can run in a 12-inch MacBook. It can run in a, it can run in a 12-inch MacBook, and it will be great. So I mean, if it if it can run a 13-inch, or even to come a 15-inch fanless MacBook, then you can certainly do it at 12 inches. Less, like less even if it drive. has to be throttled slightly, like this is the thing: the Apple Silicon chips are so so good. You could have something that's super thin, super light. You know, even if it was throttled twenty percent, so it wasn't as fast as the M2 chip in an iPad, right? It would still be fast enough for everybody to do what they want. Like mm-hmm. it's not an Intel Core M situation, which was like sluggish. The, the all these chips are so fast; they have plenty of headroom to do whatever form factors they want. It's just a matter of is there enough of a market there for people to buy the 12 inch? Because I think when the 12 inch is around, it doesn't sell in like huge numbers. I didn't see loads of them out, you know, out in public, out, out and about. So that it, may be their hesitancy in bringing it the, back. Yeah, it was Retina when the MacBook Air was not Retina, and it cost more because it had, I guess, miniaturization is is a premium, as in with the Mac, the iPad Mini, but. Um, it also had double the storage from the base configuration. It had 256 back when the MacBook Air had 128 gigabytes SSD. So you were paying more for a smaller display. It was Retina where the MacBook Air was not Retina at the time, but um, a lot of it was just unfair spec comparison because, you know, of course you would get a cheaper price for the one that has half the storage. And um, so, yeah. And there's, I guess there's been like, this is like, an idea in the community that the 12-inch MacBook was supposed to be the MacBook Air replacement, and that was going to be it, and people just kept buying the MacBook Air. Well, it was cheaper and bigger. But in this in this case, I think it would be a hit because you'd have a lineup that goes 12 inches, 13.6 inches, 15, 14 down there, 16 up there. So uh, I just wanted to exist again. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I think it would struggle if, yeah. if it was, again, price premium. Like. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it just, I think people when they walk in the shop, the the, the average person's like, I, I might as well get the thirteen inch one because it's cheaper. <laughs> like, uh, like how well does the mini do at five hundred compared to an iPad at three thirty or what is the new price like four fifty or something? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So if it go, if they do price it more than like a base model model, uh, it might struggle. But if it can be the entry level product, I think it could be very successful. Yeah. Yeah. Now at the time they had a 480p webcam in it, so that that was not better than even the 720p webcam on the MacBook Air. But surely <laughs> they could they could do better. <laughs> I mean, even the even in the 1080p webcams on the MacBook Pros, they're not anything to write home about. Yeah, Apple's got a solution for that. You just have your 12 inch laptop and you stick that Belkin uh, accessory on it, and then you just yeah. shove a, a thicker iPhone on top. No stick problem. Stick your iPhone up there. Yeah. That's the elegance we've we've been waiting for. That's, that's the twenty. That's the that's the the twenty first century for you. Mm-hmm. You have a dongle for your laptop, which is your phone. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Every potential new hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be a hundred percent certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, so you can make a decision with confidence. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster. And for free. LinkedIn is just so ubiquitous. My brother started his first job out of uni recently, and I know that LinkedIn was one of the places that he went through, for instance. So go on LinkedIn jobs at linkedin.com slash happy hour and create a free job post in just minutes. Making a post is really easy. You just get started with the job title, description, place of work, and the type of employment. And then you can also list the necessary skills that you're looking for. 
And when you add your job post, you can add the job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more, to signal directly that you're hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. When you make the job post, add screening questions to filter and focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for. So you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And that's just some of the reasons why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. So find the right team member who can accelerate your business's growth. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. Headset time, the mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality headset ha- has recently been predicted to be re- like announced in, at maybe March, spring event. And the latest is that that won't happen, that it has been pushed back to June. Imagine WWDC at the earliest. What do you think, Mayo? Yeah, this is coming from Mark Gurman at Bloomberg, who previously said, and I think there are other there were other people saying this too, that Apple originally wanted to announce this thing in a fall event last year. They faced, you know, production delays, hardware delays, software delays. So then they tried to target January, i.e. the January just gone. Obviously that didn't happen. And then they were looking at spring event, like March, April timeframe. And now the latest report is that ongoing uh, setbacks mean that they're not ready to show it off until June. Uh, German says that the reason for the delays is multifaceted with both hardware and software issues to blame. Um, obviously, this product has been gestating for a long, long time. I think first, like they first kind of like went serious on this um, when Mike uh, Rockwood took over the project in about 2015, 2016. So, you know, it's a good seven years in development, um, but it's always the last five ten percent that is you know that causes you the most the most uh, aggro in terms of getting something out the door and we have seen you know in the not too uh too too distant past apple announced stuff prematurely and then kind of regret it i think um and so they're probably taking their time here they have no they have no short-term rush to launch a headset obviously they have a a rush in the scheme of things because they need to be competitive in the space but whether you're talking you know, fall of 2022 or summer or fall of 2023 is somewhat inconsequential to them. So if they need to take a few more months to nail it down, they should do that because first impressions really do matter, especially when you're entering a new product category like this. And uh, German points out specifically that Apple's having issues with the hand tracking uh, features. So the idea is with this headset is that you're not going to have separate controllers. You're not going to have like a little like a lollipop stick controller thing or a joypad or a game controller you're going to control it with your hands and your voice and and the headset is equipped with dozens of cameras to be able to accurately track your hands and all of the fingers and joints um which will help set it apart from the competition in the, in the headset market and then you know apple's software analysis will look at those gestures and convert them into ui input and what government's described is that you'll see like a grid of apps and you can like you know, hover your finger over an icon and then you tap your thumb and your forefinger together to, to select, i.e. to click, um, without actually having to have a physical controller. And, you know, the core input, that's a core input um, paradigm of this product. If they're facing, 
you know recognition recognition issues at this stage it probably is right for them to just you know chill out for a couple more months before they they bring this to to bring this to life and hopefully a you know live event like if they're going to do it wwc maybe wwc's back in person this year for real and then they could do it live on stage and you know that's that's the most impressive if they can do it in front of real people and not a pre-recorded video for something that is literally you know about moving around in 3d space in the real world so uh if they can nail it down i think it could even make it better than just a like an april event for a small amount of press because if you can get people and if you can get a 5,000 person or a thousand person theater of normal you know developers excited about this thing uh, i think that really does make for a long-lasting you know good impression uh even if those people are not necessarily going to rush out and buy it or think they're going to make apps for it like if you can impress someone in person it it's just always better than watching a video and being like hey, that's cool you know so mm-hmm. it it does kind of suck that they yet again pushing it back from a spring release to a summer launch um but it's not like gonna break the bank <laughs> if, you, if you see what i mean because we, we don't expect this headset to have any material impact on revenue for any time for any time soon because it's going to be super expensive and super niche uh, but its most important factor is it showing that you know apple's a real player in this space and all those things that you know meta and oculus and all the, all those all those brands yeah they've, they've been having their fun but apple wants to come in and like show them how it's done even if they don't think there's a consumer market ready right now so it's going to be delayed again it does make me laugh because at the beginning of the year, you said, we said, oh, this is, or at least I said, this is the year of the headset. And you were like, I don't know, maybe it won't make this year either. And now it's slipped <laughs> to June. That's 50% of the way there. You've only got six more months for it to get to get, for it to get delayed. Um, and yeah. you'll at least be correct in that sense. Uh, I mean, if it's being announced in June, there's a very real possibility it won't ship until, <laughs> until next year. Like, yeah, it happened with the HomePod in 2017, WWDC. Yeah, and the Apple Watch was what an, a September announcement, and then it shipped in the April. So that was only like six months or whatever. So um, you know, if you're in June, you release, you announce it in June, it could very easily slip to a 2024 kind of early 2024 release um, situation. So you could at least you could still be correct. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> I think I'll I think I'll like not bet, but I think our uh, stakes were over the announcement, not the release. But still, like. The more months go by, the more uh, you're definitely validating that front. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I'm excited to see this thing because yeah. there's been so many thousands of words written about it for the last you know month upon the month upon month. Every couple of weeks, the information has another like profile about some particular aspect of it, um, and it sounds really it sounds cool. Like that is the long and the short of it. It sounds like a cool thing. Is it going to be practical? Is it just going to be a big gimmick? Like, does it have any real world utility? Uh, that remains to be seen, but. Is it going to be a cool thing to witness and for them to announce and strut across the stage with? Uh, I think so. Apple's been very excited about Tim Cook, especially about AR through the iPhone and iPad for years now. I mean, when there were in-person WWDC events, that was a big part of the demo segment. Was we're making Legos on this blank table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that it's ever translated as well from Tim Cook's enthusiasm to anyone else's enthusiasm. Um, there, I mean, there are definitely some like wow moments with kids, especially in education where you're using um, augmented reality to create dinosaurs where there are not dinosaurs. And it's all through the viewfinder of the iPad, the headset, you know, it was rumored then. And the argument was, these are all fine on these devices that we have to hold up, but we have to hold them up. 
wouldn't it be so much better if you didn't hold anything in your hands and you still saw these things and it was even more immersive than this 10-inch screen in front of you? Um, so so that's like the headset's reason to exist is that Apple's done so much with AR and AR kit um, and developers have done as much as they can with those things. So the headset is, is where that's all going toward. Because the... like, like every time they yeah. do a demo of one of those things, yeah. you're like... Yeah, this is neat, but it would be better if it was with a headset because <laughs> right. you know it's more immersive. Um, yeah. And then you, you know, then you have to step back even more and say, well, is the demo actually useful? Most of the times, it's not because you're just making Lego on a table. But every time you see an AR demo through a th- being conducted through a phone portal or iPad portal, it's like every single time that would be that's cool, but it'd be better if you could just have an immersive headset experience. And so they're going to deliver one eventually. You know, it's cheaper than a headset, a bunch of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> although i the stepping on them factor is, is maybe worth the price of the headset uh, you could also argue that they were always planning on doing this as a wwdc unveil um whether it was last year or this year or next year you know hopefully this year because it's the place where you do have all of your developers in front of you and if you can excite someone or impress them doing it when they're also entangled with the excitement of being at apple's campus helps a lot with enthusiasm I and mean, people get excited about the annual software updates more so if they're at, at the event and feel like they're in like the Apple mode and having the Apple treatment than if they just watch a video online, whether it's in person keynote or not, you know, that's just kind of the case. Um, and then for, for timing wise, I mean, for it to still be being pushed back to even demo, I could see them saying, show it off in June work on your apps. This is going to be the big part of this year's release because we don't have major iOS feature changes. Same I mean, at the beginning of the year, Bloomberg literally had a report that Apple was prioritizing engineers on the headset. So yeah. expect less new features for iOS and, yeah. and the other operating systems. Yeah, yeah I, I sort of joked on uh, this week that we, we, we did a look at sort of a, a post that was like a tweet and a message on post that was like, look back at the different iOS versions, um, you know, customizable block screen focus and widget and live text. And, um, you know, you go back and there's like usually like one or two major features that you remember and still use from the annual iOS updates. And it's like, what will iOS 7's, iOS 17's be? And like my half joking, half true response is like compliance with global regulation. You know, it's like, well, they're, they're going to do things where the app store isn't the only place to get apps and they're going to allow the browsers, you know, you know, you have non-WebKit browser engines and uh, that sort of thing. So I, just, I think just as pretty, a quick aside, it has been kind of interesting the last couple of weeks. Both Chrome and Firefox have started work on non-WebKit based browsers. Like they're like, we're, we're, starting being... to, we're, we're getting ready to make one. Yeah, prior to actually being allowed to do it, they yeah. obviously think there's a really high percentage chance that Apple is going to bring that barrier down. Or the EU is yeah. going to force them to do it very shortly. So that both Chrome and Firefox are like readying up to ship a non-WebKit-based browser on the iPhone as soon as they can. Yeah. For for this WWDC, if they can have the Mac Pro, especially now that the Mac Pro is scaled back from what it was going to be to more like this is where the M2 Ultra goes and not in the Mac Studio this year, then showing off the Mac Pro at WWDC for the audience that really loves the thing and previewing the headset and and the operating system and the developer potential there. And then also showing you this is what's new in iOS 17. You can you can do different browsers. You can, uh, you know, 
have six new fonts for the lock screen kind of thing. And then on the iPad, maybe they've done things with, uh, what's the feature called? Stage manager, you know, and, and that'll be, that's all they need to do with iOS or iPad OS 17. They won't show TV off. No, no, what they, no we know what iPad OS 17 is going to be. It's just going to be all the lock screen features. Oh, true. Yeah, please, hopefully. <laughs> Nothing else, just what the iPhone got last year. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's the, that's all right. Uh, and then for the watch, they can do, you know, a few new workouts, a few new watch faces and call it a day. And then the bulk of the, yeah, what we think of as the event is Mac Pro teaser or Mac Pro, you know, unveil, headset teaser and the software potential for it. And, and that's like the big thing this year. You could easily see that happening. So hopefully that everything lines up and that is what happens because that, that would be a pretty good show. Yeah. And a pretty good uh months after you know with all the, all the work happening around these apps if, if for the headset yeah for sure yep uh also this week we've got ios 16.3.2 that's a mouthful uh as officially out we, we don't have beta version ios 16.4 yet there has not been a beta one of that and people are getting anxious i mean this maybe. has been the longest span without a beta for a while so yeah maybe it's headset related uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, surely the headset ships with iOS 17. I don't know, but or, you know the equivalent of. But uh, anyway, well, what, what German thinks it's going to be called XROS, right? So yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they'll start at one, or do you think they'll start at 17? XROS 17. It, it it's it builds on all of the work of iOS over the years, so it's 17, <laughs> like the tvOS <laughs> version was. Uh, but there are some new things in in iOS 16.3.2. Relating to HomePod, relating to crash detection, uh, what are those features, and have you experienced them? Well, thankfully, I haven't experienced the crash detection because okay. I haven't seriously crashed or been on the ski slopes. Because yeah. <laughs> um, what this what this particular thing was described in the release notes was crash detection optimizations for iPhone 14 uh, Pro line, and basically, this is referring to the fact that there's still every week there's new reports of false positives on roller coasters, on ski slopes. Uh, or that kind of extreme sports um, the iPhone thinks that you're in a car and you've had a crash because high impact sports kind of you can see how it parallels um, but the problem is especially if you're doing skiing for instance like if you're skiing down the Alps with your phone in your pocket you might not realise that the phone is then trying to contact emergency services because obviously it makes the beeping noise or whatever but if you're in the middle of a ski you end up having emergency services receive an, a non-legitimate call and you haven't even had a chance to cancel it and then their phone lines get clogged up with people that don't actually need help and then that you know potentially um, compromises the people that do need help and so the emergency services are complaining there's been ongoing reports that Apple has been working with these um, with these centres and emergency services groups to see what they can do and they keep releasing these crash detection optimizations, uh, which hopefully are improving the algorithms to reduce those false positives, but they don't actually ever elaborate like what they're optimizing for. So we can never like really do a side by side test or check out the you know, check out what they're saying. You just have to trust them that it's getting better. At some point, if they can't fix it, I feel like they're just gonna have to do like geo like geo block certain areas from crash detection. Like if it if you're on the ski slopes, you know, well sorry, you just if you're we're just going to assume that you're not going to have a car crash and we just won't detect any any slopes at all. That especially seems like something they could do at a roller coaster, like theme park kind of area. Because yeah. with GPS, you could get like the, you know, the layout of the park um, and then say, look, if you're inside here, we know you're not driving because you can't have cars inside a theme park. Uh, and so all these uh, crash detections are going to be false positives. Um, so that feels like the ultimate um, 
solution if they can't fix it with you know the more intermediate optimizations but every time they release an update there's such a lag because as we spoke about on last week's show people aren't <laughs> super fast on updating to the point point releases and like they released crash detection optimizations at the end of december most people probably haven't installed that one yet so what you see in the news press is people's based on people's experience where most of the population is running 16.0 16.1 and so to really find out whether the um, the new optimizations actually do help and reduce the cooling count. You have to wait like four months to then see if the, the trend actually goes downwards um, without Apple saying explicitly, we think, you know, false positives are going to be reduced by X percentage. They just don't say anything. They don't claim anything. They just release a software update saying that they've made it better. Um, but we'll never actually know that for a while because there's that lag between it being released and people actually adopting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the first one was the first thing that they ever did with crash detection as an update was it might not go off if you're in an actual crash. And then since then, we've had these optimizations for roller coasters and ski resorts and et cetera. So, uh, the, the feature is an iPhone exclusive, though. This is something that Google's done with the Pixel before. Does it? I guess the difference is just like volume in the water. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Google's algorithms are better, but even if they were the same, the amount of calls is like yeah, many awkward magnitudes smaller just because the user base is tiny. Yeah, yeah. Not not to say Android's tiny. Android's big. Yeah, but, but Google Pixel the, specifically. The newest Pixel phones, right? Yeah. 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 And then the HomePod uh, fix, uh, this was something that was particularly frustrating me. So... Right around, I'd say, the release of 16.2, maybe 16.3, um, which was right around, just like a week or so before the new HomePod actually shipped, um, there was this weird issue where the HomePod would just stop working for smart home requests. Like, you would say, turn on the lights, and it would do the thing where it says, working on that, on it just a sec and it you know the the white lights flashing on the top of it on the top of the surface and then 30 seconds would go by it would reach its maximum timeout for a request and say sorry i couldn't do that for you and then you can immediately ask the exact same request verbatim again and it would do it immediately and people figured out that you don't even have to wait for um that whole 30 second timeout you could interrupt it halfway through ask the exact same thing and the second time around it would do what you asked immediately and so it was just really frustrating that i'd say about 80% 80% of the time, you'd have to ask your smart home request twice for it actually to do it. Um, luckily, and then, oh, and then they released 16.3.1 like a week and a half ago. And I was like, oh, this must be the update uh, that fixes this problem. No, no, didn't do anything. And then mm-hmm. on Monday, they released 16.3.2, which does indeed fix the problem. I've updated my devices. I haven't had that those symptoms since. So I'm happy again because I have... At the moment, all my smart home stuff's mostly mostly concentrate, concentrated on like the kitchen area where it comes to like lights and stuff because I haven't had a chance to get out of the rest of the house yet. But when you want to turn off the kitchen lights in the evening and you have to do it like say it twice, it gets very annoying and very fast. Uh, but now that it's working all happily again, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, you know you know how they're working on going from from Hey and then Siri to just Siri and then the command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got. I've already gotten there. Um, I say Rory, and then and then my kid does what I tell him to do. He's <laughs> really good at turning off lights and turning on fans and that sort of thing. Uh, so the future is nice. <laughs> All right, uh, TV corner time. 
Ted Lasso, this, you sort of predicted this because of the award situation on the March 15th deadline, but um, Ted Lasso has a season three date to begin and a new time of, new day of the week when it will air. What's, what's that? Yeah, so just to explain the Emmys thing, previously, in previous years, it, if the series was released, like a, a single episode of the series was released to the public, um, and all the episodes were provided as screeners to the critics, then any show released up to May the 31st would be eligible for that year's Emmys. So, like, you wouldn't have to complete the season before that window. But this year, they've changed it. So all episodes have to air before May 31st um, in order to qualify for this year's Emmy Awards. And obviously, Ted Lasso didn't come out last year, season three. And so it seemed unlikely they wanted to skip another year of awards of, of awards craziness. So, practically... The series had to come out before, with all episodes before May the 31st. And as we know, Apple releases shows weekly, especially the shows that are in their second and third seasons. And something as popular as Ted Lasso, they want people to keep coming back week after week after week. And if you do like this 12-episode season, right, season three, and so if you take 12 weeks off May the 31st, you literally get to the week of March the 15th because it literally goes right up to the deadline. Um, and the most interesting thing is that this is going to be their first scripted show to launch on Wednesdays and release episodes weekly on Wednesdays. And so the first episode comes out on Wednesday, March 15th, and there'll be one new episode every single week, every Wednesday, until the last episode airs, guess what day, on May, on May the 31st. So literally the last day of the deadline, they're scraping in by, <laughs> by releasing everything on Wednesday. Um, but obviously, everyone loves Ted Lasso, or at least most people do. And season three, has, there's been a lot of back and forth about whether it's the last season or not. They haven't confirmed or denied that with this latest announcement, apart from saying the third season's coming out now. But what I will say is, other Apple TV shows that have ended, uh, normally their press release like make a big deal about it being the final season. So yeah, they're like, so. yeah, so they're like Dickinson returns for its you know final third season. But you know, see, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the season finale series premieres on Blur, whereas the Ted Lasso uh, press release does not mention anything about it being the end. So I reckon there's probably more to come at some point. Maybe not immediately. Maybe it's like a spin-off, but who knows? But I think there'll be more to come there. Like I'm sure nobody, Warner Brothers, who make the show, or Apple, who obviously you know capitalise off it in terms of popularity, um, want it to come to an end if they can really help. So so they'll be looking for any way to keep it going. Um, because it's such a big hit, uh, and they haven't, and all those people like you know even Jason Stakers has quieted down in recent months with interviews about saying this is the end, right? So they obviously had a three season arc that they've played out, and and will conclude with the third season beginning on March the fifteenth. But beyond that, there's probably more story to come in one way or another. Um, but I'm looking forward to Ted Lasso coming back because I like that show, um, and I you like Ted Lasso, right? I do like Ted yeah. Lasso. Yeah, good, good, good. So I I remember watching Ted Lasso when there were like two or three episodes out already and I was just bored and I didn't think I would care about it. It was just kind of background TV and I had that feeling that everyone eventually has who, who does like it. Where it's like, this is like not what I expected and it's got something special about it where it's like heartwarming and, and it, it's edgy but it's heartwarming you know at times and um, so I was I was happy to have that experience on my own, and that's kind of what you explain to people. If it's like you will like this if you like this sort of thing, um, it's it's there. Uh, so I'm excited about season three. I have I haven't watched the teaser yet. It's, you know, just gonna go in blind, I guess. I mean, I've watched the teaser. You, yeah. It's not a teaser. It doesn't show anything about the actual show. It's okay. The cast members 
are in the um, changing rooms and they draw their own belief sign. That's the teaser. So there's no actual like plot or story at all because it's a teaser. They'll they'll do a trailer. They'll do a season three trailer in the next couple of weeks that will have like you know some shots of what actually is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I I saw a trailer this week. uh, Two two trailers I've seen this this past week. One is Tetris, the the movie rated R. (laughs) This is kind of funny. Uh, And so before if you just heard that apple was behind the tetris movie then you have no clue what it would be like is it gameplay <laughs> what is it and the, the trailer it's, i would say it's more interesting than if you just heard that it was going to be a movie about tetris it's pretty dramatic i'd say yeah the 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 backstory behind the creation of tetris is what this is about it's more like a biopic kind of situation yeah and there's a great documentary on youtube if you want to just learn about it but this looks like a nice uh dramatization of those events too yeah they, they hooked me when they included the game boy so <laughs> it's like oh i care more about that yeah uh extrapolations is the other trailer which i i did not know anything about and from the name and then like the still frame of the the trailer i did i didn't have any expectations for but i watched it and i really am looking forward to the extrapolations uh it's it's a tv series the idea is that you extrapolate the climate crisis and you expand that to what will it be like in 10 years and 20 years and 40 years and 100 years. And I believe the scenario, the setup will be like each episode is maybe a decade and it gets worse and worse and worse throughout the show. Uh, it, it, they even show things that are sort of irrelevant now where like a, a couple is, is having a baby and they feel very guilty about having a baby when they know that the... Um, the state of the planet is not going to be good for their child uh, based on how it's gone over the last several years. So that, that show looks pretty good. Um, you mentioned it was stacked with cast, it, it, a lot of, a lot of stars and then a lot our, of stars. Our, <laughs> yeah, our sort of guess is that each episode will, you know, if each episode is a decade, I mean, that's not clear yet, but that's just sort of the guess is that you'll see the stars in one episode and then a different set in the other. Yeah. It's definitely anthological in nature. So, mm-hmm. uh, they have, you know, crazy cast members, but they're yeah. they're not going to be like available in every single episode. Cause the main character is the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah, they've got you know um, David Schwimmer, Cherry Jones, Edward Norton, Sienna Miller, um, Kit Harrington, Mary Bartlett, Meryl Streep, you know, the works. Yeah, yeah. Toby Maguire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, lo- loads of people uh, in this and more. Um, so. Uh, if you like big stars, uh, that's definitely a draw. But I also just think the story is quite interesting too. You know, mm-hmm. the the effects of climate change in a kind of as long as it's like interesting at the same. Like you, could, I don't want it to be documentary style. You know, like I'm not I'm not denying climate change. It's just when the the kind of show that they're trying to line it up to be has to have like a you know a solid narrative backing it to make it work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it certainly has a point of view. That's obvious. And then I appeal. You know, like end of times things are sort of interesting to, you know to, to see as long as they aren't super possible um this is this is sort of borderline with that in terms of possibility uh you know whereas like the the other side would be the five nights at memorial that was about something that actually happened and it's like that was pretty tough to watch um i think this one though will like be a little more comfortable even though it is more dire so looking forward to that uh this weekend the movie sharper comes out 
and you said the reviews are terrible. No, the reviews are mixed, I'd say. Some okay. people say it's pretty good. Okay, reviews are mixed on Sharper. That's the movie. Yeah. And then Hello Tomorrow, the, the TV series premiere. That we hyped up the last couple of episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the reviews yeah. for that are terrible. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you'll like it, but uh, the critics yeah. didn't like it. Yeah, well, the critics didn't like Ted Lasso either. That is true. That is true. <laughs> yep. All right. That's the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. And Apple Podcasts for the ad-free version. That's $5 a month or $50 per year. You can follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't already, we appreciate that. If you have the time, if you want to, leave a star rating in Apple Podcasts. Write a review. We really appreciate that. And uh, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter at ApolloZach and Mastodon at Zach at home.social. Benjamin, you are on the web at BZMAO. Yep. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.